Good morning. My name is Ronnie Higgins. I'm on staff here, and I get the pleasure of sharing the word with you this morning. And I don't know if you know how blessed we are as a church. Um, we have so many who give time and effort to make every Sunday happen um, with excellence. And it's not just those of us that you see on stage. It's not just art leading in worship or the band or, or choir, but it's the production team that sits in the booth or those that are sitting behind stage making sure that our lyrics and our video are happening. It's the guys in the broadcast booth who are making sure our online presence is happening. And so I want to recognize them and acknowledge them because we couldn't do church the way that we do church without all the, the volunteers and the, the hours that are put in. Um, and, and so I just want to acknowledge that, and I'd love for you guys just to, to say thank you to them. Um, we're kind of on a skeleton crew this morning, not because we have to be, but because we want to bless the volunteers that we have. Um, and so we've allowed them to have this morning off, and some are on vacation, so that's good. You know, they get to be off. I, I was a little disappointed this morning. Someone mentioned to me um, earlier that they were hoping that Art would play some kind of waltz this morning. You know, one, two, three, one, two, three. It, come on, 12, 31, 23, get it? Anyway, bad joke. I got to do it. It's, that, that's, that's my uh, tip of the hat to one of my favorite pastors I've ever served under. Um, Barry Camp. Um, <clears throat> Got to go with the one-liners. But this morning, what I want to talk about is this. I want to talk about the power of moments. And I want to talk about how our story is impacted by those powerful moments. Um, for me, a couple years ago, my wife and I, Kylie, uh, we took our kids to Disney. And we gave them this trip as a, a Christmas present. Um, and and you know, we went through the whole thing of, you know, getting fake tickets and uh, T-shirts, and my boys got stuffed Mickey, and my girl got a stuffed Minnie, um, and, and hold off on that picture just for now. Um, that's us, but we, we, we did all the planning. We, we went through a Disney planner, and, and she was a rock star. She got us all the secrets and all the tips to, to make sure our trip went well, and, and if you've ever been to Disney, it's all about the magic, right? It's all about the experience. But we all know, if you've ever been or if you've ever been anywhere on a trip, not every moment is magical, right? There's high points and low points. And I was reading this book that's called The Power of Moments, and they talked about Disney, and they talked about, you know, if you were to get a text every hour during your trip, and it asked you to rate that moment at that time between a one and a 10, what do you think your average would be? And it's like, you know, those, those great moments where it's the middle of the day, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're with your hangry kids who are just starving, and you're trying to figure out the stupid app to order your food so you can bypass the line and it's not working. If I got the text at that moment, it's probably a three, that may be a little high, but then fast forward an hour or two later, and we're getting on to the Avatar ride. If you've never been on the Avatar ride, wow. It's absolutely amazing. That's probably an eight, eight and a half, nine. But then you go back, 
and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're, you're waiting for the magical moment to happen and you're standing in line at It's a Small World, which, why? We've all heard it, but whatever. But you're standing in line at It's a Small World and the, the line breaks down right as you're at the window so you hear just the song. And it just keeps going. Two hours. It's like, I wish the world would get a little bit larger. You text me at that point, I'm at like a 1.5. But then I watch my kids as they're putting together their lightsabers or riding on the Rise of Resistance, the, the Star Wars, uh, the Rise of the Resistance, the Star Wars ride, which again, Disney doesn't do bad rides. I'll just put it that way. That was close to 10. But if you average out all of those moments, you probably end up somewhere 5.5 or 6 overall because you hit in high points, low points, good times, bad times. But if I was to ask my kids, no way in the world it's that low. And I could point over there to them and ask, I'm not going to, but I could point over there and ask and have them hold up a number. And I promise you it'd be eight or higher, except for this one moment. So one of our first nights there, we are in Magic Kingdom, and we're sitting in, the, that's the picture that was up there. Um, that's us. If you want to go ahead and put it back up. That's us standing outside Magic Kingdom at the castle, getting ready for the fireworks that night. Beautiful smiles. Everybody's excited. Everybody's like, oh, we're here. We're getting ready for fireworks. Beautiful. If you notice in the sky, it's a little hazy. There's a reason for that about 20 minutes before the fireworks are supposed to start, a monsoon comes through. And it just, at first it just drops, right? And we're trying to, to, to wait it out with everybody else. Then all of a sudden, it just bottom drops. It's pouring rain. Everybody's running, scattering. It goes into mass chaos and panic. And we about lose our minds. And honestly, we about lost one or two of our kids in the, in the mix, Okay. <laughs> We're, we're running for shelter. As we get there, we get the next picture. This is the aftermath. Those are forced smiles. Those are the, ah, we survived smiles, right? Very different numbers, very different moments for those pictures, right? Now, why do I tell that story? to get my family up on the screen, ah, maybe. I love my family, they're great. But it's more than just that. This whole idea of how we remember our moments is important to our faith. And it's funny, some of the songs that we sang this morning, Art and I didn't actually talk about what I was gonna be preaching on, um, but it's awesome how God kind of weaves together some things because this is my story. This is my song. Our story and our song is built upon those power, powerful moments in our faith, good and bad. It's not just the powerful good moments. The bad moments impact as well. And this morning, what I want us to do is kind of take a journey um, through these moments and these mem memories um, because it's, it's one of those things, if our core memories of faith are dominated by the times where we are frustrated, 
by the times that we are failing, feeling guilt and shame, then the way our faith is going to be lived out is going to look like this. We're going we're gonna to be sporadically involved at church, maybe. Our life in our community, in our workplace, at school, in our home is going to be inconsistent. And more than that, our ability to withstand the moments of temptation that make us fall into sin is going to be a facade. And we're going to find ourselves falling over and over and stumbling through life. Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he says some things that I think are really important for us. He tells us that we can look around and clearly see that we're in a moral free fall because moral and ethical decisions have no guidelines to play by anymore. And it creates a dilemma for us on a daily basis. He continues that even for Christians, many relegate Jesus to a position of savior, the great forgiver of sins, but see little effect of him within the real issues of life. And on the screen, you're gonna see this. Very few people today find Jesus interesting as a person or a vital relevance to the course of their actual lives. He is not generally regarded as a real-life personality who deals with real-life issues, but is thought to be concerned with some feathery realm other than the one we must deal with and must deal with now. I want to pose this question to you. Is your faith, your core memories and core moments of your faith, is it based on the negative moments, the failures, the hurts, the places where you have experienced pain? What is that going to look like for you if that's what it is? Or are you taking those core memories from the positive side, from the victories, from the things that God has done in your life and shown you time after time after time? This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Peter. And I'm going to kind of skim through some points, high points in his, his story. Um, and then we're going to get to some application. But I want to, I, I just want to look at his story, the good and the bad. And if you're new to church or you're new to Peter's story at all, let me tell you a little bit to give you a little context of who he is. One, you need to know he's one of the, the 12. He's one of the first disciples that was called. He was a fisherman. He and his brother Andrew uh, were fishermen that uh, had a very, very common background. Um, he walked with Jesus for three years learning and, to be honest, really relearning over and over again lessons from Jesus. And then ultimately, he wrote First and Second Peter in Scripture. And then you also need to know he's credited as the source for the gospel of Mark. So Peter had a really big impact. where we begin to see his impact really take off is in Acts chapter two. This is after Jesus has gone to the cross, after he's been resurrected, after he's ascended up into heaven. Acts chapter two, you find yourself in a crowd and it's called the day of Pentecost. It's when the, the, the tongues of fire come down. That's a great story we'll get to another time, but not for this morning. But this whole thing has thrown the crowd into chaos and it's Peter who boldly stands up and proclaims these words. And I'm just going to take a few 
sections of his sermon, but it's an incredible sermon in Acts chapter two if you wanna go back and read it later. This is what it says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's the gospel right there. Skip to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Notice the boldness, whom you crucified. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 came to faith in Christ that day. That's amazing. Peter stood and proclaimed Jesus and his story boldly in front of this crowd that was accusing them of being drunk, of being crazy, of being all these other things. He stands up, brings clarity, and points to Jesus. But if you know anything about Peter's story, that wasn't always who he was. He wasn't always bold and able to say all the right things. And so we're gonna go through his story that you see his failures, but then his redemption that leads to his boldness. In the beginning of Jesus' story, he calls Peter and his brother Andrew to follow him. Like I said, they were fishermen and they were out there casting nets. And as Jesus calls them, they immediately respond and follow him. What that means is they left everything behind to follow Jesus. Their livelihood, everything. As they follow Jesus and more disciples come on board, they begin to understand a little bit more about who he is. And in Matthew 16, you see Jesus ask a question to the disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? They give the answer. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who jumps up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What an incredible moment to be able to call out the identity of Jesus in front of your friends. And not only that, but then to have Jesus say this to him, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Not only has Peter answered correctly, but now Jesus has thrown accolade on him to say, I'm going to build my church on you that excitement, that victory is short-lived because just moments later, Jesus begins to tell him and tell the disciples what's to come. 
in the cross in his death. And Peter, being the guy we love, pulls Jesus aside and says, hold on, you're telling the wrong story here. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're not going to die. Jesus then goes from calling Peter the rock to saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What Jesus is saying there, Peter, you're concerned with your own glory. You're you're concerned with how you see the story playing out. You need to understand the story doesn't go that way. But it is my story that is going to go forward. And it's worthwhile. As Jesus continues his journey to the cross, he has a couple things where he meets with the disciples. He goes to the upper room. They have the Last Supper. He washes their feet. He talks about one of them betraying him. And then at the end of that, he speaks about the path ahead. And if you look in Mark chapter 14, it should be up on the screens for you. It says this, Jesus tells them, you will all fail or all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I will tell, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. We see Peter follow Jesus after he gets arrested. We see him go into the courts. We see him listening. And if you look at Matthew 26, it's gonna be on the screens. I'm just gonna kind of summarize real quickly. Peter's standing, listening around the fires and one of the servant girls of the high priest comes and makes a terrifying accusation to, to Peter saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Peter's first denial. Another servant girl comes later and says to Peter, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denies again with an oath. And then more come to him and say, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And if you know the story, or if you look at the scripture, immediately the rooster crows. What happens after that? Peter, I I love the scene in The Passion of Christ. If you've ever seen that movie, in this scene, there's a little poetic license with it. It's not accurate to scripture, but what happens in that movie at this moment really speaks to me. And I feel like whether it actually happened or not, it happened in Peter's mind. When When the rooster crows, Jesus locks eyes with Peter in the movie. Now, that didn't happen in the scripture. Like I said, that's a a writer or the director's own working of it. But in that moment, Peter feels the weight. He feels the shame. He feels the guilt. He has failed. He has done exactly what Jesus said he would do, and he was not strong enough to stand the way that he said he would. It would be a very... Sad story if it ended right there. But thanks be to God that it doesn't. 
as we move forward. Jesus has said, all of them will go away. They will all fall away. They will all go back to what they were doing. In John chapter 21, we see this. Jesus has died on the cross. He hasn't been, um, he's been resurrected, but they don't know that yet. And they've gone back to their jobs. And so for most of them, like Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, that meant going back to fishing. And so they go out in the boat. They go on an overnight fishing trip. They catch nothing. They come back in the morning. Some guy's standing on the shore. They don't recognize. They just see him. And the guy says, hey, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And in their mind, they're like, we have done this all night long and caught nothing. What makes you think that we're... Okay, and they do it. And when they throw the net down, they get a haul of fish that they can't bring in because there's so many. And it's in that moment that John, and it says the disciple that Jesus loved, but we know that's John, leans over to Peter and says, that's Jesus. And Peter, when it clicks, does what Peter does. He jumps in the water and swims out to to meet Jesus on the shore. The other disciples bring the boat along with the fish and the net and all of that. And when they get to shore, they engage Jesus in a conversation. He's got coals and fire and fish and bread on the fire, and he makes them breakfast. But this is the important part. In John 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, and it doesn't say it in the scripture, but as you think about it and you you get the context of what's being said, it's almost as if the rest of the disciples have disappeared. They've gone somewhere else. Or Jesus and, and, and Peter take a walk or something because it is a very intimate conversation that the two of them are having. And it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's some debate as to what that means, more than these. They ask the question, is it, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? I don't know that Jesus would have asked that question necessarily because they're all supposed to love him, right? So maybe there's others who would say that, is Jesus saying, do you love me more than all of these things? The fish, the boat, the nets, the livelihood you would have. Hmm, probably not it either. Do you love me more than these? The question in my mind is that Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than anything else? More than anything else. And so Peter responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. He doesn't end there, though. He goes back and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep or shepherd my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Because we know the story, we know the three questions are because of the three denials. And in this moment, Jesus is taking the time to restore Peter back to his place as the rock. I tell you this story, I tell you about Peter, because where I want to land today is this. I want us to ask the question, how are our moments impacting our story? If we're going to sit up here and sing, this is my story, this is my song, what does that story look like? What are the moments that build that story? Because with Peter, if he left in the negatives where he was being rebuked by Jesus, where he was, um, I I didn't even get into the walking on the water, but where he sinks because he takes his eyes off Jesus, um, and and doing the denials, all of those things, if Peter lives his faith journey there, It's not going to get very far. But Peter had moments where he hears life in the words of Jesus that say, it's okay. I love you. Do you love me? If you love me, then here is your spot. For us, we see the impact in Acts chapter 2. Not only do we see it in Acts chapter 2, but in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17, he says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Always be prepared to give an answer. So what are the moments that you need to be reminded of, those those moments that you've built your faith upon? There's three things. There's a lot more that you could go to, but there's three things I want to say as as we get ready to close. Your, your, Your childhood and upbringing impact this story. The victories you experience along the way impact this story, and your failures impact this story. We can't really tell a story without the origin story, right? For many of us, we have to ask the question, what does our origin story look like? Did we grow up in a home that exalted Christ, that made him a priority, that made church a priority, that had compassion and kindness and love inside the walls? Or did you grow up in a home that was broken, in a home that there was fighting, that there was Um, lies, that there was deceitfulness. Either way, those moments that were the, the origin piece of your story don't have to define the rest of the life that you live. I can tell you, I have a group of friends that I am in contact with that I've known some of them since kindergarten, uh, others since high school. It's, it's coming on a 30-year friendship for mo- or, or more for most. And in that, we text on a weekly basis, if not daily. And I ask them the question, what are the powerful moments in your life that changed the trajectory of where you ended up? And in that question, they knew I was going to be bringing this up in the sermon. So, uh, One of them was like, well, you know, I changed majors in college and it totally changed from pre-med to something else. One of them was saying, you know what? I was engaged to be married when I was 25 years old. 
and I didn't feel right about it. And I, it was one of the hardest decisions I ever made, but I broke it off. 20 years later, I can look back and say it was the best decision I ever made because that would have put me in a place I shouldn't be and I didn't want to be. One of the others made the comment that, and, and you'll understand this in a second, but he went the spiritual route, which was great. And he said, you know what? Biggest decision of my life was when I was a freshman in college and I gave my heart to Christ. And I can attest to that because he's still in ministry right now, 20 years later. God is using him because of that decision and reminds him all the time of who he is in Christ. For me, I grew up in a broken home. I grew up with parents that divorced when I was two. I grew up in a place where there was fighting, there was uh, manipulation, there was alcoholism, there was all kinds of negative things that were there. And if I lived in that and continued to let that be my story, I don't know where my life would be. But because of an encounter with Jesus I had when I was a teenager, God shifted my story. And now I stand before you because of that moment in September of 1990. I stand before you because God captured my heart and my origin story shifted. And I began to experience victories. I began to experience things where God showed me his power, showed me his strength, showed me his plan. And in the midst of that, he also showed me that he was the hero of the story and not me. He was the focal point and not me. You know what that freed me from? The third thing I told you, my failures. Because if I don't have him as my focal point, my failures drown me. And trust me, in the amount of years that I've been in ministry, there's plenty of failures. There's plenty of heartbreak. There's plenty of things that could sink you. And I can look across this room and I guarantee you, in, in just this room, the amount of failures that come to mind, whether that's a loss of a job, a loss of a spouse, um, a, a, an addiction, or um, any number of things that you could put in that hard time, failed moment. Loss of a spouse isn't a failed moment, but you know what I mean, going through hard times and needing something that's going to be the foundation for you. If we don't have Jesus as the focal point that changes our origin story, that celebrates the victory that he's given, not that we've won, it erases the failures and the hard times that we have to face. I'm gonna end with this. One of the songs that I love that we sing, um, we didn't sing it this morning, um, but we've sung it quite a bit. It's called So Will I. And I'm not going to sing it for you. You're welcome. <laughs> but the lyrics are so powerful. And I mean, it brings me, it gets me emotional when I, when I read them or sing them. Um, so I'm going to try not to. But uh, this is, this is, what I pray we understand in our story. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done 
every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly choose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways, every precious one a child you died to save. And if you gave your life to love them, so will I, like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. My prayer this morning, what I want to leave you with is this. Learn from Peter. Learn to balance out the positive and the negative so that in the end, the net is the foundation that you can stand on in your faith. Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 that the story of the, the wise and foolish builder, the difference is the, the wise builder builds his house on, on the rock, which is the, the wise builder builds their house on Jesus Christ. And every victory that you have as you move forward is another brick in that house of faith that you're building. It's not just about the foundation. That's, a, that's important, yes. But building the house has to be done. And so take those bricks and build that house of faith. Let it remind you of the power of God and the power of those moments that you experience with him. Let me pray with us. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for Peter's story. I thank you for the way that it speaks to our hearts. I thank you that, Lord, he is an example of victories and failures. That he is a real life example for us to follow. And that we can say because we read his story, we can learn from it and we can become who you've called us to be. We thank you, Jesus, for continuing to save us even from ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that each brick that goes into our faith house would be designed and manufactured by you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.